Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is entitled, When Salvation Comes. It's based upon the lectionary readings for November 3rd, 2019. In his collection of essays, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis challenges his readers to see themselves and their neighbors as Jesus sees them to apprehend the extraordinary and the immortal in all people. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them, that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. These are, needless to say, bold and compelling words. How different my life would look if I took up Lewis's challenge. How high the stakes would become in the interactions I have with those around me. How full of surprise and possibility each day would be. In our Gospel story this week, Jesus models the luminous kind of vision Lewis describes in his book. Jesus sees in a way that ushers in salvation. Standing under a sycamore tree, he gazes up at a tax collector named Zacchaeus with such loving, penetrating intensity that the gaze transforms not only the man in the tree, but everyone around him. Jesus enables both Zacchaeus and the crowd of disapproving onlookers to become the immortal wonders God created them to be. The story is a simple one. I'm guessing most of us learned it as children. Once there was a man who wanted desperately to see Jesus, but a crowd was in his way. The man's desperation drove him ahead of the crowd and up into the branches of a sycamore tree, where he hoped to catch a glimpse of Jesus. When Jesus passed under the tree, he looked up and said, Hurry down, Zacchaeus, for I must stay at your house today. The man scrambled out of the tree, filled with delight to take Jesus home with him. But the crowd was indignant and grumbled, What business does Jesus have getting cozy with a sinner? But the man stood his ground, saying, Master, I give away half my income to the poor, and if I'm caught cheating, I pay four times the damages. Then Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For I have come to seek and to save the lost. I don't know about you, but I'm shaken by the questions this simple gospel story raises. Having grown up in the church, steeped in scripture, and surrounded by the trappings of Christianity, I tend to assume that I can see myself, Jesus, and other people fairly clearly. But Zacchaeus' story gives me pause, because it is all about accepting the smallness of my vision. It's about the courage it takes to recognize that God sees so much more than I do. 
It's about becoming vulnerable before the very people I have hurt as a result of my impoverished perspective, so that our mutual transformation can do its painful, joy-making work. There is nothing childish about the story at all, except perhaps my tendency to run away from its challenging implications. Maybe the best way to re-see this story is to take it line by line and consider the questions it asks of us. Once there was a man who wanted desperately to see Jesus, but a crowd was in his way. Already I am implicated. Already I have to ask myself, when was the last time my desire for Jesus felt desperate? When did I last long for more? More meaning, more depth, more authenticity, more life. How long has it been since I last paid careful attention to the crowd, to the obstacles, the distractions, the old assumptions and failures that block my clear vision of the divine? Too often I ignore my urgent need for Jesus until the urgency itself dulls and recedes and the crowd of hindrances wins. To follow Zacchaeus' example is to follow my yearning, to see that my yearning echoes God's yearning for me. The man's desperation drove him ahead of the crowd and up into the branches of a sycamore tree, where he hoped to catch a glimpse of Jesus. Zacchaeus recognizes that he needs to shift, to move, to relocate. Have I noticed recently that my spiritual vision is limited? Have I recognized that I need a new angle, a new perspective, a new starting place? What's remarkable about Zacchaeus is that he risks looking like an idiot in order to see further and more clearly. When is the last time I did something risky or unconventional or undignified for the sake of my faith? Have I ever waited in an unfamiliar place for however long it takes, trusting that Jesus will come my way eventually? When Jesus passed under the tree, he looked up and said, Hurry down, Zacchaeus, for I must stay at your house today. This is the pivotal moment in the story, when Jesus looks and sees. Do I know that I am sought? Do I even believe that this kind of pursuing, lingering, chasing love is possible? That my pursuit of God is a sure sign of his pursuit of me? Jesus tells Zacchaeus to hurry. When did I last hurry in my spiritual life, my urgency for God driving me out of hiding? When did I last host Jesus in my own home, allowing him to open closed doors, touch my prized possessions, and explore those grimy corners he deliberately doesn't give me time to clean up before he visits? How well have I understood that I will never see anything worth seeing in this life unless I allow myself to be seen first? The man scrambled out of the tree, filled with delight to take Jesus home with him. I wish that delight characterized my relationship with God more often than it does. I know duty. I know obligation. Sometimes I even know obedience. But do I know delight? Does my spiritual life put a smile on my face? Does Jesus delight my soul? But the crowd was indignant and grumbled. What business does Jesus have getting cozy with the sinner? But the man stood his ground, saying, Master, I give away half my income to the poor, and if I'm caught cheating, I pay four times the damages. This is where Lewis's challenge to see the beautiful and the immortal in myself and in others hits home very, very hard. I know that even now I hold people hostage to versions of themselves 
they're striving to outgrow. I know that I refuse people the permission to change because if they change, I will have to change too. Likewise, I know that there are areas in my life where God is asking me to stand my ground and tell a new story about myself, a story my listeners might have high stakes in resisting. These are the places where I am tempted to retreat, to quit, to resort to a vision of humanity that is ordinary and mortal, not extraordinary and lasting. How is my faith calling me to embrace with humility the people I have deliberately refused to see as God sees them? How is my faith propelling me to rediscover my own mind and soul in fresh ways? The spiritual life is evolutionary to its core. Change or die is its bottom line. Can I embrace that? Then Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For I have come to seek and save the lost. When salvation comes, it comes abundantly. It comes without condition or exception. It comes for Zacchaeus, who is already trying to shed his sinful life and make reparations to those whom he has harmed. It comes for the crowds as they dare to shed their preconceptions and stereotypes and see Zacchaeus as a man in process, a man in whom God is at work. It comes because what Jesus sees in every person he encounters is so much richer, deeper, and truer than our stingy eyes will ever take in apart from him. When was I last lost? When was I last found? What has Jesus named me? Before I am anything, anyone, anyone's, I am God's. Do I believe this? After Zacchaeus takes the bold step of climbing a tree to better his vision, Jesus calls for more. Come down, Jesus says, come down, come here, come closer. I have even greater treasures saved up for you. We climb the tree, in other words, only to climb back down at his invitation. We peek from a distance only to prepare ourselves to stand before him face to face. We run ahead of him only because we forget who and what we truly are. As soon as we remember, we discover the amazing truth that Zacchaeus discovers at the end of the story. Jesus has already followed us home. Here, then, is one of the profound truths of this simple story. There are no ordinary people in the realms of God. There are no mere mortals once salvation arrives and knocks on our doors. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. Let's pray for eyes to see them all around us. For books this week, Brad Keister reviews Midnight in Chernobyl, The Untold Story of the World's Greatest Nuclear Disaster by Adam Higginbotham. Shortly after midnight on Saturday, April 26, 1986, the staff at reactor number four at the Chernobyl nuclear plant near Pripyat, Ukraine, were conducting a test simulating a blackout power failure. The result was anything but routine. A steam explosion that exposed the nuclear core, leading to an open-air graphite fire that released fission products into the atmosphere that settled across the USSR and Western Europe. Hundreds, if not thousands, of people eventually died from radiation effects, and large swaths of land are not habitable to this day. The partial meltdown of the nuclear core came close to poisoning the water supply for most of Ukraine. Researched meticulously by journalist Adam Higginbotham, this book is not a risk analysis for nuclear power or any other energy source. 
but rather a chronicle of a culture of secrecy, misinformation, and cover-up. For starters, this catastrophe was completely preventable. In its race to show itself superior to the U.S. in reactor technology, high-level USSR technocrats designed massive reactors with little or no attention to standard design safeguards and hid known flaws even from plant directors and engineers. The reactors were often constructed with shoddy materials and poor workmanship by crews who were given impossible deadlines to fulfill. The test protocol itself involved turning off whatever safeguards that the reactor possessed. During the test, politically sensitive supervisors ignored parts of the protocol. The recipe for disaster was well mixed. It was only a matter of time before a massive failure occurred. But this time, the culture of secrecy failed. The facts were too widespread for the government to put the genie back into the bottle. The Western press had evidence of massive radiation on European soil and shouted, What have you done? Inside the USSR, too many citizens knew of mysterious deaths and huge evacuations. The final outcome exceeded the scope of the catastrophe. Many claimed that the massive costs of cleanup, together with the loss of citizen trust, were major contributing factors to the breakup of the Soviet Union only a few years later. A key lesson from this book is that truth cannot ultimately be contained and hidden. Higginbotham does a masterful job of showing how well-meaning, or not, characters become trapped in their webs of deceit. For some, the outcome might be considered just, but for most, it was tragic. For films this week, Dan reviews SOS, The Salton Sea Walk. The Salton Sea, about 125 miles east and a little north of San Diego, is the largest lake in California. For a long time now, it's been a slow-motion ecological disaster. The rural lake sits 230 feet below sea level. It's the source for urban water supplies, which transfer of water is accelerating the rate at which the lake is drying. In turn, the newly exposed dry lake bed has exposed 100 years of farm chemicals that have become airborne and are polluting those same urban areas with huge, toxic dust storms. This one-hour documentary features a local activist named Randy Brown, who grew up as a little boy camping, fishing, and swimming at the Salton Sea. Brown set out to do something no one had ever attempted, to walk the entire perimeter of the crusty shoreline of the Salton Sea. In June of 2015, with temperatures reaching 120 degrees, he set out on his sixth day, 115-mile journey. The scenery is both stark and beautiful, with over 400 species of birds, boats, and docks that now sit stranded hundreds of yards from the water, abandoned buildings and marinas, shorelines littered with dead fish, decimated lake communities, etc. This film won numerous small festival awards. I watched it on Amazon Streaming. For more on the Salton Sea debacle, see the article The Dying Sea in the New Yorker, April 27, 2015. And lastly, for poems this week, Lost, All in Wonder, by Thomas Aquinas. Godhead, here in hiding, whom I do adore, masked by these bare shadows, shape, and nothing more. See, Lord, at thy service low lies here a heart lost, all lost in wonder at the God thou art. Seeing, touching, tasting are in thee deceived. How says trusty hearing that shall be believed? What God's Son has told me, 
Take for truth, I do. Truth himself speaks truly, or there is nothing true. On the cross thy Godhead made no sign to men, here thy very manhood steals from human ken. Both are my confession, both are my belief, and I pray the prayer of the dying thief. I am not like Thomas, wounds I cannot see, but can plainly call thee Lord and God as he. Let me to a deeper faith, daily nearer move, daily make me harder hope and dearer love. O thou, a reminder of Christ crucified, living bread, the life of us for whom he died, lend this life to me then. Feed and feast my mind, there be thou the sweetness man was meant to find. Bring the tender tale true of the pelican, bathe me, Jesu Lord, in what thy bosom ran, blood whereof a single drop has power to win all the world, forgiveness of its world of sin. Jesu, whom I look at shrouded here below, I beseech thee, send me where I thirst, for so, some day to gaze on thee face to face in light, and be blessed forever with thy glory's sight. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for November 3rd, 2019. I'm Debbie Thomas.